1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. And if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as He desired. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. The verse that we focused on last week, In the text just before what David read was verse 7. If you weren't here and don't remember, let me just read that verse for you and put the rest of the chapter in its context. Verse 7 said, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And what I stressed is that every person in the body of Christ is intended to do two things. To manifest the Spirit, that is, to to make the Spirit of God visible in your life by what you do, who you are, and to bring good to people in that process. When, When the special grace of salvation meets up with the common grace of personhood in each human being, a unique manifestation of the Spirit happens. Do you believe that? When the special grace of salvation moves into and mingles with the common grace of personhood that you bring into the world by God's design, when those two things mingle in salvation, in new birth, there emerges a unique manifestation of the Holy Spirit that is intended to be released in the church for the common good. And I stress that you don't have to choose between living for the common good and living for the manifestation of God. That they are achieved simultaneously. That when you pursue the manifestation of God, people get help because God is that way. And when you pursue the help of people, what will really bring them help is to know God. To have God manifested to them in all the manifold ways that He is. Now, there are ailments in the body that hinder that from happening. There are two ailments in this chapter that are directly discussed. One ailment is called feelings of uselessness. The other ailment is called feelings of self-sufficiency. The ailment of uselessness says, you don't need me. And the ailment of self-sufficiency says, I don't need you. When I was standing at the door at the end of the last service, one of our families showed me, this is such a good idea, I hope that you all who have little children who begin to come to the services when they reach a certain age, which is, I don't know, four, five, six. That's where we sort of shoot at. Um, and they, they, it's not computing everything I say. 
That's okay. It, it will never compete with everybody, you know. That's no argument for not bringing a child to worship. This, this child is an artist. Now, all children are artists. They just are different kinds. This child is an artist, and, and he drew a, a useless person here. His head is bowed down. Tears are rolling down his cheek, and there's a burden upon his back. And this, this man over here, very cocky with the top hat on, is, has feelings of self-sufficiency. And he's making a woman very mad here, and her diamond ring fell out of her mouth, it looks like. <laughs> So if you got what the two ailments are now, visual help from the, from the last service, ministry from John Thomas. Today's ailment we're going to talk about is feelings of uselessness. Next Sunday we talk about feelings of self-sufficiency. Feelings of uselessness are diagnosed by Paul right here in verses 15 and 16. Let me just read you the diagnosis and then we'll look at the remedy. Verse 15 says, If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. Now, that's the ailment right there. You see it? The ailment that says I'm not a part of the body. Look at verse 16. Same ailment. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I, I'm not a part of the body. I may as well not go to church. I am useless. What I am is not needed. It doesn't count. It's unimportant. All that matters is eyes. Now, that's the ailment. That's a sickness in the body. It's more or less rampant in some bodies. I'm sure it's here in some. It's a sickness. Now, we need to minister a remedy this morning from the word to that ailment. Next Sunday, there's another ailment. What is the remedy that Paul gives for this sickness? It's what you might call, if you were really up to date, reality therapy. He simply puts that feeling and that opinion about me or you over against reality. Three statements of truth he puts against that feeling. And I want to just show you those in the text. Number one, the first truth that he puts over against feelings of uselessness is the truth that those feelings are not true. That is, they don't accord with reality. They're out of sync with the universe. They're not so. Now, that's right here. In verses 15 and 16, he puts the diagnosis and the first step of the remedy right together. Verse 15 says, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I'm not a part of the body. Now, Paul responds, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. So Paul Here's the, the opinion of uselessness, and he puts boldly and forthrightly over against it, it is not true. That's his first response. If you say, I'm, I'm not important, what I have to give to this church, this big church, is not significant, I may as well just drop out. Paul's first response to that is, you are not speaking the truth. It's just, it's just a denial of what he says. It's not true that you are not a part of the body. It's not true that what you have over against what others have is not significant. It's not true that this comparison 
is resulting in a proper conclusion. You may reason by comparing yourself with another. I'm not that. That's significant. Therefore, I'm not significant. I'm dropping out. Paul listens to that and says, that is not valid reasoning. You are not any less a part of the body and member by definition means a constituent part with a unique responsibility to contribute to the whole. That's what member means. So his first response, just very simply, very forthrightly, very straightforward, is to say, if you say you're not a part of the body because of what you have, you're wrong. You are not less a part of the body because you think you are less a part of the body. Therefore, bring your thinking and bring your feelings into accord with reality. Truth number two. It calls into question the very reality of the body, the very existence of the body, to think that the only way you can have significance in the body is to be like somebody else. In other words, if you think I'm not a part of the body, I don't have a significant role to play, there's nothing about me that is essential in anybody's life in this church, what you are saying is the body is not a significant reality. Now, this is in verses 14 and 19 and 20. In fact, verses 19 and 20 are simply a repetition of two parts of verse 14. Verse 14 says, for the body is not one member, but many. That's what it means to be a body. Body means diversification. Body means manyness. In oneness, but not oneness by itself. That's no body. Body means manyness. To the degree, then, that you resist manyness and diversity and want to move towards sameness, you resist body. You resist what the body is. Now, verses 19 and 20 repeat that. Verse 19 says, if they were all one member, where would the body be? Body would be nowhere. In other words, there would be no body if people succeeded in thinking themselves into sameness so that they could all be like the one they think is most significant in the body. It would be no body. Verse 20 says the same thing in a different way, repeating the last word of verse 14. But now there are many members, but one body. That's what it means to be a body. Many members unified in one body. And so if a person says, I'm useless and I don't count and I'm not needed and I have no essential role to play in building anybody's faith or doing anything good or contributing to the common good with who I am, then that person is striving against the very concept of body. That's his second truth. Now, thirdly, finally, and it's the most important one, and in a sense it's a response to a person's response to number two. Here's what I can imagine a person saying, having heard number two. He's saying, look, I hear what you say. It just doesn't click with me. That is not my problem. You have missed me. I mean, your arrow just went zing right by my head. I am not feeling any help 
from what you just said in number two, because I know that the body has two arms. Not just one arm, eight fingers like this, two like that. It's not true that if I just want to be one of those fingers instead of a toenail, that the body stops being the body. So you have not connected. I am not calling the body into question. I just don't like my part in it. If there can be eight fingers, I'll be happy to be just one. I don't insist there be just one finger. You've missed me, Paul. Now, Paul's response to that is found in verses 17 and 18. At first, it may not sound like a response. Let me read it. It says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? And I can hear the objector saying, ah, just what I said. I am not trying to make the whole body hearing. I'm not trying to make the whole body an eye. I want the whole body to be an eye rolling around. I just want not to be a toe. Thank you. I don't I will. I don't like where I am and who I am. I want to be like my Sunday school teacher. I want to be like somebody else. So I'm not that, that just misses me now. Verses, verse 17 is not intended to be read by itself. Of course, it could sound ridiculous. It's intended to be a contrast to verse 18. So let's start back and read it again and keep reading. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But, here's the contrast, but now God, and that's the most important word in this verse. God has placed the members, each one of them, that's probably the second most important. God has placed the members, each one of them, not just arms and legs and fingers, but everything else in the body. Just as he desired. So here's the third truth. Every part of the body is what it is because God willed it for the common good of the body and for the manifestation of the spirit. Therefore, to resent what he has made you is to distrust God. Either he is mean or he is weak or he is foolish. He's not good, he's not sovereign, and he's not wise because he made me like I am. It's a God issue. That's the bottom line. It's a God issue. It's an issue of can we trust the Lord of the church? Now, last week, this was the bottom line and this week it's the bottom line. Let me just remind you so you can see the two verses together. Last week, the bottom line was verse 11. One and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. There it is. The, the diversity of the manifestations of the Spirit in the body of Christ are owing to the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit. He wills it. Now, verse uh, 18 says it exactly again. 
God has placed the members, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. Therefore, the bottom line reality in this reality therapy is, listen, if you say I don't count, God blew it. It's really not very important whether you count or not compared to the fact that you're saying God blew it. That's the big issue. That's a big issue. To say that I don't have anything to contribute is to say that God doesn't know how to build a church. God saved the wrong person. God's incompetent. God got mixed up. God has no talent. God's cruel. It's the God issue. It is fundamentally whether we will trust God. So let me sum up the three steps now. The first thing Paul said in his remedy of the ailment of uselessness is it isn't true. Just simply, it isn't true that you're not useless. It isn't true that you don't belong to the body. It isn't true that you don't have anything essential to contribute. Number two, he said, to the degree that you gravitate towards sameness, saying, I want to be like that, I want to be like that, I want to be like that, you are moving against body. You're trying to... to Resist the very meaning of body, its diversification, its manyness. And then thirdly, he says, God put you in the body. God designed you for your unique manifestation of the spirit. To reject that, to say it's not significant, is to say that God blew it. That God's not good or wise or powerful. Now, let me close by asking a question and I'm going to take this up again tonight. What is so helpful to me in verse 18 and verse 11, what I need to hear is that it is a call to contentment. You hear that? It's addressing people who say, I'm not an ear and so I'm not any good. I'm not a uh, uh, hand and therefore I'm not part of the body and they're feeling tremendous discontent that they aren't what they should be in the body because God made them this way and not that way. And this verse is a call to contentment. It's a call to relax. Stop feeling that way. Now, if that's true, then here comes a, a really difficult question. What about 1 Corinthians 14.1 that says, um, pursue the way of love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Hey, wait a minute. I just thought you told us to relax with who we are. What's this earnestly desire gifts? What's this earnestly desire prophecy. I don't feel relaxed anymore. Now, what, what would you answer? What? Are we to relax with the gifts we have or are we to want more? Is it a contradiction of God's goodness and wisdom in orchestrating the body to say to him, 
Who wants the gift of prophecy? You told me to want the gift of prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14.1 Is that an assault on God's wisdom? Is there a necessary contradiction between trying to bring contentment into our lives by being reminded about the sovereignty of God in verse 11 and verse 18 and trying to bring yearning and pursuits into our lives with 1 Corinthians 14.1. Now, here's my answer in a nutshell, and it will not sound profound. I think it's one that you would come up with if you reflected long or a few minutes. Namely, it is not impossible to want more gifts without saying that the ones we have are useless. It is not impossible to want more gifts without saying that the ones we have are useless. But it does call for a miracle kind of in the life. And here's the miracle that I'm struggling with all the time in my life. It's the miracle of seeing two things mingled in your life. The one is contentment in the sovereign goodness of God. And the other is a holy yearning and striving for more and more. More power, more gifts, more graces, more fruitfulness. And they're both in the Bible. The call to be content and the call to yearn forward. And I have called this, I called this way back in 1977 in a little article that I wrote for his magazine. I called this dissatisfied contentment. It's been on my mind for almost two decades. And I really believe that the secret of the growing, effective Christian life is to find the proper mingling of those two things. Contentment in the sovereign goodness of God and a holy yearning and stretching forward beyond what we presently are in graces and in gifts and in holiness. And so I commend to you both. I want you to hear the word of contentment this morning because that's the word that's stressed in verse 18. For you who suffer under the ailment of a sense of uselessness, God is summoning you to rest in his sovereign goodness and to believe him, to trust his word, that he makes no mistakes in putting the members of the body where they are. And yet I want to sow the seed and pick it up again tonight of this Questing, yearning, longing, stretching. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would bestow your grace now upon your people. I pray that people would be able to walk out of this room now so graced by your truth and by your spirit that the spring that had been wound up so tight in their lives through frustration of one kind or another could now be released that the chest could breathe fully, that the neck muscles could relax, that the head could lie down in peace, that the mind could stop whirling, and that in this Advent season 
we would know a peace that passes human understanding because we have met a God who knows what he's doing in designing each unique manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.